Let us pray. So, Father, indeed, we do pray that our heart's desire would be to worship and serve you alone. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to uh, the 16th chapter of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And as you're doing that, um, I want to do two things. One, mention next Sunday night is our monthly um, prayer service here at the church from 6 to 7 p.m. And I want to encourage all of you to come out and participate in that. Um, I encourage that all the time, but especially during this season of Lent. And then I also want to express appreciation to our music team. And um, they continue to lead us during this season of transition and the wonderful job they're doing. Thank you all so very much. <clears throat> well, continuing with a focus on our Old Testament reading this morning, as we have throughout this season of Lent, <coughs> as diverse as our readings have been, and despite the generations and centuries that separate these events from Genesis 12, that we looked at a few weeks ago, Exodus 17 last week, and 1 Samuel 16 this week, there are, even as I mentioned last week, some common themes and points of emphasis that are evident. Most specifically is what obedience and disobedience to the commands of God look like. There are indeed divine blessings and provision that come with obedience despite our human frailties. Now, to be clear, I am not necessarily talking here about physical, temporal, material, or financial blessings. Far too often, this is where our minds immediately go, both because of the culture that we live in and because of some Christian subcultures by which we are bombarded, which distort this kind of thinking that bring this kind of distorted thinking that, that the blessing of God is equated solely or necessarily with material blessing. That's not what we're talking about. Rather, we are talking about the blessings of responding in obedience to the call of God. Blessings which include God's grace, provision, and empowerment to accomplish that to which he calls us as his people. Whether that be Abraham, Old Testament Israel under Moses, King David, God's people in the New Testament, the early church, or you and me in this day. And while much of the focus in 1 Samuel, this is where the entire book is rightly upon David, <clears throat> we need to start with Samuel. Because these verses in today's readings actually give us far more insight spiritually regarding Samuel than they do David. Because with Samuel is where it all begins in human terms, while fully and unequivocally recognizing above and before all that this is yet again an account of God's grace, provision, and empowerment, and him equipping his servants to accomplish that for which he has raised them up. So let's take a little bit of time this morning to look at God's specific call and guidance of Samuel in this account. <clears throat> I've entitled my sermon today, Portraits of Obedience. And I was thinking of what is involved with the painting of a portrait. But one of the things that comes to mind today, just like in centuries past, if someone sits to have their portrait painted, they are dressed and they're prepared to look their best. They have their hair 
fixed properly, they're dressed well. But the other thing that takes place is that um, flaws aren't incorporated into the painting. I, I always marvel when I walk through art museums at the impeccable and perfect complexions that everyone living hundreds of years ago and during the Renaissance period had when you look at paintings and there's not a zit anywhere to be found, you know? There's not a wart or a wrinkle anywhere to be found. And the same is true today. And we actually do that with photographic portraits as well where, I don't know all the technical terms, they, they airbrush things and they, they change um, the coloring a little bit and all of a sudden you look like a perfect porcelain baby doll rather than, doll rather than a person with flaws and warts that we, we all have, figuratively and in some cases, literally. Um, but that's what God and his word does here, just like in those portraits. He gives us in his servants, especially Samuel in this chapter, the good and the beautiful. And Samuel is human, and yes, Samuel is flawed like every one of us, but in his obedience to the Lord, the portrait God paints of him is, a, is a, an obedient servant. And the good and faithful and obedient characteristics of Samuel are what are depicted. As we look at the record of God's word here regarding Samuel, what we see is a portrait of obedience. Chapter 16 begins with Samuel grieving. And if we back up to chapter 15, we see why. We see that he is mourning King Saul's rejection of the word of the Lord. <clears throat> He is grieving Saul's sin and disobedience. Now hear me, being grieved over sin, whether it's sin in our own lives or sin in someone else's life, particularly sin that is public and brings reproach on the name of the Lord, is a right and a godly thing. But we can't stay stuck in that place. And the Lord basically says this, this, this to Samuel. He says, now it's time to move on, to move ahead. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have promised, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. As we continue, we see that Samuel is filled with fear. It's very real, it's understandable fear based on very real dangers. In the natural, to do what the Lord is calling and commanding him to do would be viewed by Saul as treason. And there is no question what would, that would lead to if Samuel fell into Saul's hands. But here's the key. Yes, Samuel indeed was a man of, with feet of clay, just like you and me. And yes, he experienced fears based on very real possibilities. But as verse 4 tells us, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. <clears throat> Joyce Baldwin in the Tyndale Old Testament commentary says this, his, speaking of Samuel's greatness, lay not in the originality of his ideas or the initiatives he took, but in carrying out the instruction of the Lord. What mattered was simple obedience. Did you hear that? What mattered was simple obedience. During the 18th and 19th century, which was a huge wave of world missions, there were a band of missionaries 
large group over the years known as one-way missionaries. They bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, many of these missionaries packed their few earthly belongings to go to the mission field into coffins. And as they sailed away, they waved goodbye to everyone and everything they loved and knew, knowing that they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries who actually lived from 1785 to 1821. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, aware that the headhunters there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. But for 35 years, he lived among the tribe. And when he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came here, there was no light. When he left here, there was no darkness. Another intrepid missionary cut from the same cloth was Methodist missionary James Calvert, who lived between 1813 and 1892. And he committed his life to reaching the indigenous peoples of the Fiji Islands. If you know anything about the Fiji Islands, one of the areas that were filled with cannibals and headhunters. It's reported that upon his voyage, the ship's captain warned him to turn back, saying, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. To which Calvert promptly replied, we died before we came here. Despite human frails, frailties and fears, Samuel stepped out in obedience to the Lord. <clears throat> Despite their human fears and frailties, countless missionaries and heroes of the faith, some now famous, others forgotten to history and only known to God, stepped out in obedience to the call of God. Not knowing how things would develop or where things would end up, but wholly entrusting themselves to God's care by his grace and power. And not allowing themselves to be paralyzed by very real concerns and very real fears. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, sometimes we sanitize the heroes of the faith, whether that be biblical heroes or heroes down through the church age. And we somehow think that they didn't experience the same anxieties and the same human apprehensions that you and I experience. And yet they did, they did. They didn't deny reality. They didn't try to speak or confess away the facts and the risks of their calling. Instead, they placed themselves in the care of the one who called them and who equipped them with his grace and power to do his will. Whether that was a long life with years of fruitful ministry, perhaps even without great adversity, or if it was a life of suffering for the cause of Christ, or even dying from disease or martyrdom at a young age. Now, I'm well aware that there is nothing light or easy about any of this that I'm saying today. The fact is, brothers and sisters, this is hard stuff. Stuff that requires obedience to Christ's call to die to ourselves. Dying to self with trusting, active obedience in the Lord. This is really a true definition of what biblical godly faith looks like. Hear these words from the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, or made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Which I think raises for you and me as we think about these things and we think about Samuel and the things we're talking about today. What does my portrait of obedience, what does your portrait of obedience that is still being painted look like? What does the All Saints Church portrait of obedience look like? One that is still being painted. Is it being painted in a way that demonstrates and depicts the grace and the power and the provision of God or something else? And what will those paintings look like when they're complete? Will they be paintings that God has crafted in his image and in his will, where his grace and his work in us and through us covers up our human frailties and flaws? Will they look like something else? Hear me, this is not hype. God forbid that there would be anything of the flesh in what I'm saying here this morning. But will the portrait of our lives and the life of this church be one that depicts obedience to the call of God? Even when that call is to difficult, seemingly impossible things, perhaps. When that call is to something other than worldly success or success as it's defined by human standards. When God's calling to this church may be a hard thing and a stretching thing in this season. Lent is a really good time to consider these things. Death to self, more fully submitting to the heart and will and the call of God. And that is true for us as individuals, but that is true for us corporately as a church family as well. What will the final portrait that God paints of us look like? Moving through our text, there's another aspect of Samuel's obedience and God's calling of David to be king, which I think we need to learn from. And I'm calling this second main point, the eyes of man and the anointing of God. Again, as I've already said, Samuel was human. He was fallible. Look at verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Just like you and me, Samuel could very easily fall back on what seems logical. Now hear me, certainly God does use our reason and logic. He's given us brains, he's given us minds. It's a part of who he's made us to be. As one of my professors preaching in a seminary chapel 
one time said, and again, some of you don't know my background, um, part of a Pentecostal denomination, prior to this went to a Pentecostal seminary, and talking about the blessing of being baptized, receiving the infill of the Holy Spirit, he said this, just because you get baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you cut the top of your head off and let your brains fall out on the floor. But our logic and our thought processes, brothers and sisters, must be submitted to God. Did you hear that? They must be submitted to God. And that's what we see here with Samuel in verse 7, where the Lord corrects and redirects him. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But let's not miss another key factor in Samuel's discernment here. His heart was prepared he was spiritually postured to hear from the Lord and to obey the Lord's leading. Why is that? Well, back up a little bit with me. At the Lord's command, what does Samuel say when he arrives at Bethlehem in obedience to the Lord? Look at verses 4 through 5. Samuel said, excuse me, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel first offered worship to the Lord, his God, in the way prescribed by the Lord. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sacrifice speaks of worship, obedience, and faithful repentance for sin. Through obedience and godly worship, Samuel was in a place to hear from and be led by God. Note he was also insistent that those who would go with him would do the same. Again, verse 5, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. It was because Samuel had fully consecrated himself to God that he could know that none of these brothers I see standing here are the ones. Because of this, he could know to ask Jesse, are all of your sons here? Samuel didn't rely on human logic and rationale, somehow divorced from waiting before and listening to God. We need to hear this. Samuel did not rely on human logic and rationale, somehow divorced from waiting and listening to God. How often do Christians and churches fall into this trap where we only look at externals and we fall into the world's way of evaluating things and evaluating people and there's nothing of the Lord in it? Think how often, I'm not speaking of this church, but how churches go about selecting or identifying leaders. Well, they show great leadership skill. Well, maybe they do. And maybe that's of God, but maybe it's not. Or a person is prominent in the community. They're a well-known business person, or they're this, or they're that. They're successful in the eyes of the world. 
that may or may not qualify them for spiritual leadership. It actually doesn't qualify them, but it is not an indicator of whether they are called to be in spiritual leadership or not. In some cases, those people are. In other cases, no way. Or we gravitate toward charismatic personalities. If you would, good salespeople, people who can talk a good show, who can promote things well. But who and what are they selling? If we're not careful, we can all fall into that trap. What about the ministries we step into as a church family? Do we only step into those things that are comfortable and easy, things that will win us the accolades of the world around us, or are we willing to go to that hard place and step into those things where we have to totally depend upon God and his grace and his power that may actually bring us scorn or reproach in the eyes of the world? When it comes to people on all these things and what God is calling us to, we must not look solely to outward appearance. We can't go by superficials. We have to hear from the Lord and be led of God. I mean, think about it. If we, if we went by the eyes of the world, just like many people in that day did, Jesus would be rejected. Isaiah prophesied that this would happen in Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. <clears throat> but when Samuel obeyed the voice of the Lord, look what happened, verse 12 and 13. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. When we walk in accord with God's will and call, wholly consecrated to him, to faithful, unwavering, sacrificial obedience to his will, whether that be as individuals or as a church, he, God himself, equips his people then like he did David and even today with his power to accomplish his will. When Samuel walked according to God's will, when Samuel heard from the Lord, when Samuel understood this is the one, and he anointed him, what happens? The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and remained upon David from that day forward. To be about our Father's will. To be about walking in obedience to the Lord and dying to self. We need that same power, brothers and sisters. We need to be equipped by God to, to step into places and to, to obey his call to places that might be very difficult and in the natural might even seem completely impossible or unfeasible. And yet as we do out of obedience to the Lord, he will equip us with his power and his grace and his provision to accomplish his will. So, 
What are those portraits looking like for us and for this church? Are we at that place where we, we are prayer, prayerfully postured to hear from the Lord? Are we offering the Lord worship as he has prescribed so that we put ourselves in that position where we can hear and be led from him, where human logic and rationale and the minds that he's given us are submitted to God and his will and his plan and his purposes. As we do that, as we seek God's face, as we seek to truly die to self and be fully surrendered to the Lord, he will indeed lead us. And he will continue to paint that portrait, which in the end is a portrait of his gracious power and his wonder working and his using us as his people for his glory in a way that really wipes away those flaws and those shortcomings that we have as fallen people with feet of clay so that we reflect his image and his glory and his plan and his purposes. May that be so for us May that be so for all saints. Church, and may God give us the grace to die to ourselves, to die to the praise of human beings, and to wholly follow him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and the examples that you give us to instruct us. Timeless truths. Lord, help us to die to self, to personal agendas, to die to doing things the way the world does them. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to paint that portrait that is a, a perfect, beautiful, good picture of your grace and your power and surrender to you that we could be about your kingdom business and that we would be faithful to that which you call us, even that which might seem impossible in the natural. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.